How many of you had a great Easter? And a few, a few people. Some of you raising your hand, it's because you were out of town in the sunshine somewhere. Uh, we had a fantastic Easter last week. Thank you for coming back this week to worship Jesus together. He really is still risen. Uh, we talked last week about the stones that roll away off of our lives because the stone rolled off of his grave. And that stone didn't get to go back over his grave. It's still rolled away. We're still alive. We still have the life that Jesus gave to us. And I don't know if you felt this way after uh, Easter last week. Uh, if you have kids, how many of you know what the dad tax is? Nobody, a couple people. So the dad tax is if your kids get a big pile of candy or some kind of treat, dad gets a portion of that. So, so if they, yeah, baby, I heard that. So if there's a whole bunch of Reese's eggs or some M&Ms or something, you're, you're allowed to. And, and this even works for grandkids. There is a pap tax as well. So you are entitled to go over. But I was, I was thinking about it. And uh, this week, it, how many of you have ever remember the movie uh, Finding Nemo? And Dory had the short-term memory. How many of you had an experience like this? Oh, this Easter candy's making me sick. Oh, look, more candy. I hope that's not how you spent your Easter last week, uh, regretting your choices, but uh, that, that's something that happened. And then uh, I saw this cartoon this week, too. How many of you hid eggs? And the guy says, hey, honey, remember that Easter egg nobody could find? And there's a chick popping out from the couch. You're, you're laughing at that, but when I was a kid, I remember uh, we hid, my mom hid eggs. She, she had hard-boiled some eggs, and she dyed them, and she hid them around the house. And I was finding them, but apparently my mom or dad, nobody counted how many eggs were supposed to be found. So there, I, just, I distinctly remember there was this lamp on the wall in our basement that had kind of a little hurricane light cover on it. And she had put, mom had put an egg down the top of that lamp cover sitting right on top of the light bulb. And we found it about a week later. Is that when it was, mom? I don't know. Maybe it was, it might have been longer. Who knows? But the smell was pervasive. (laughs) What is that? Or do we need to get mice treated in the basement? What's going on? And here it was an Easter egg that remained unfound. So hopefully that was before the day of plastic eggs. Thank God for plastic eggs that if you don't find them, you just write it off. But that was before the day. So hopefully you found all the eggs, you ate all the candy you wanted to, and uh, you were able to make it back today. And we're going to finish up today our series for Easter. We've been doing a series called Stones. And during this series, we've been talking about stones being the natural representations of experiences and circumstances that come into our lives. There are things that, that get it's sent into our lives. There's a whole bunch of stones that we get to build something with if we do it right. Uh, the stones can be big or small. They can be joyful. They can be painful. They can be easy to understand or they can be hard to figure out. And we got to really noodle it through. And, and I was thinking of speaking of painful stones and experiences that come into your life. Uh, this happened. Go know the, the one with the pirate score from yesterday. There you go. <laughs> This was a painful stone. The the Pirates lost by three touchdowns yesterday. And this this was not a football game. This was a baseball game. And uh, for those of you that are diehard Pirate fans and you've been waiting for them to be good again, this was a painful stone 
to, to have to figure out, God, what are you building during this circumstance? Uh, so it, it was funny. We, we met a couple of our grandkids, uh, took them for ice cream yesterday. And the first thing Levi says to me when we sit down, he says, Pap, you didn't watch that baseball game today, did you? He's like, that was a hard one. So there, there are stones that are painful. They, they can weigh us down. They can hurt us. Or if we process them correctly, the circumstances, the stones that come into our lives, they can teach us something. They can remind us of something. They can be a memorial. They can be something that we build off of to go to the next level. That last week, we talked about the stones aren't just for us. The circumstances, the memorial stones that God puts in our lives actually help us to connect generations so that when our kids say, hey, what is that stone over there? What was that circumstance? Why do we do this? We can tell them the story of God's faithfulness in our lives. And the most important stone, the most intense experience that you could have, the most memorable, the longest lasting, in fact, it is an eternal experience, the most memorable stone is the day that Jesus comes to be a part of your life. And we've been using this for a key verse. Matthew 21, 42 says, Then Jesus asked them, Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. And in that verse, we know that Jesus was talking about himself when he says the stone that the builders rejected. He was saying, I am the cornerstone that you can build your life on. And I just want to give you a couple thoughts on that verse before we leave it today. The builders in that verse... He says the builders had rejected that stone. And the builders he was specifically talking about that time were the Jewish religious leaders and the high priests. They were the ones that were supposed to be building something for God in the earth. The ones that were supposed to be building a house that would show the world this is the goodness of God. This is who he is. And it says Jesus told them, you rejected me. The thing that everything is supposed to be built on. And and it's very interesting to me when you read through the New Testament, the bad guys throughout the New Testament were most often the religious people. Huh. The the very ones that were supposed to be representing God, they they ended up being the bad guys in the story and the ones that persecuted Jesus and the disciples. Uh, They were the ones that put more focus on your outward righteousness than what Jesus was actually doing inside of you and in your heart. Why did those builders reject Jesus? Did you ever ponder that? It says, the, the builders rejected me and I've become the cornerstone. Why did they reject him? And I think they rejected him for the same reasons that people still reject Jesus today. You have to surrender control. Did you ever think about that? That was part of the, the Jewish system, the high priest and the teachers of the law, because of the control they had over the people through the religious system. There was a lot of power and prestige that came to them. Just like us today, when we come to Jesus, we have to surrender control. We don't have the final word on what happens in our lives. How many of you know the phrase, Jesus is Lord, means that he's the boss? That he actually gets the last say over what decisions we make and what happens in our lives. And that can be a scary thing for people. They reject the cornerstone because they don't want to give up control. I think they rejected Jesus because he wants and brings change to our lives. They had been doing, the priests in that day, they had been doing things the same way for about 1,500 years. Come on, I I don't like it when somebody tries to change something I've been doing the same way for like 20 minutes. That's the way it works. I've always done it that way. And Jesus comes and he wants to transform the whole system of worship. And because of that, they rejected him. He wants to change us. And sometimes we resist it. But he's always 
wanting to give us something better than what we have. Come on, if we would just wrap our heads around that, if we could really understand that what I'm so desperately trying to hang on to, if I would just surrender it, Jesus has something better that he wants to put in my lives. Man, it goes so much better when we surrender it to him. I think another reason the builders rejected him is because Jesus came to end competition and comparison. Think about those religious leaders at the time. They, they told long, loud prayers in public. They, they did very public giving. Look at how much I'm putting in the offering today. Come on, it was a competition. It was a comparison. I am more righteous than you because of what I'm doing. Look at it. I could just hear them saying that. Look at me, what I've done for God. And Jesus came to put an end to all that. When, when Jesus came, he ended up saying, hey, there's, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. We are all one in him. And the religious leaders hated him for that. And we sometimes reject what Jesus wants to do because comparison, I think, is just part of human nature. And we have a hard time letting go of that. The world focuses on differences. Hey, your house is much bigger than him. You must be more successful than him. And Jesus looks at what's going on in our heart, and he levels the playing field for everybody. They had rejected Jesus altogether when God said, I'm making Jesus the foundation of everything that I'm building in the earth. There is nothing built of eternal value that's not going to be built on Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to last is what's built on him. He can hold up every stone that comes into our lives, and he holds everything that God is building in the earth because he's eternal. If we build on him, our lives will be solid. Gosh, there's, I'll get to that. It's in my head right now. I'm trying to put, I'll put a pin in it right now in my thoughts. Uh, the apostle Peter, he was there listening when Jesus was giving these teachings and these circumstances. And Peter loved this imagery of the cornerstone. How many of you know that when Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter, he was saying, hey, I'm taking you from being a little pebble to being a rock. And I think that because that was part of his name, it resonated with Peter. I love this image of Jesus being the cornerstone. What are you going to build, Lord Jesus? How are you going to use me to build it? And Peter liked it so much, he used it and referenced it a couple times later. Uh, It won't be on the screen, but you can go back and read Acts chapter 3 and 4. There was a time when Peter and John went to pray. What happened? They met a lame man on the way. He... Not everybody knows that song anymore. Gosh, there's so many things rattling around in your brain from when you were a kid in Sunday school. But they saw this crippled beggar by the roadside. He'd been laying there over 40 years. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew he couldn't walk. And Peter and John healed that man. They got him on his feet. He went walking and leaping, praising God. And he's there. And the high priests and the religious leaders, come on, the ones that end up being the bad guys for some reason in most of the stories, they got upset because that guy had been healed. And that Peter and John were now preaching about Jesus. And so they grabbed them. They said, hey, we want to know why you're saying what you're saying and why you're doing what you're doing. And Peter gets up and he gives this message and he says, Jesus is how this guy got healed. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone that you guys rejected, but God has made him the savior of the whole world. There is no other name in which salvation is found. Come on, that very thing that Jesus told the religious leaders, I'm the chief cornerstone, Peter picks up on it. And when they heal a beggar, he says, this is how this guy got healed because Jesus is building something eternal that can't be shaken. He's the cornerstone of it all. And it still upset those rulers. 
Those religious people got mad at Peter because he was still calling them out saying, you rejected God. He's the one that healed this guy and you've rejected him. And the religious leaders couldn't say anything about it because here's this guy that was crippled for 40 years standing on his feet next to them saying, this is exciting. (laughs) Come on. I, I picture that guy couldn't keep still. He hadn't used his legs for 40 years. He had to get a lot of mileage out of the time they were laying there. And he's just bouncing around. Isn't this cool? And the religious leaders are fuming. No, this isn't cool. You should sit back on that mat. Don't be surprised if Jesus' activity in your life causes religious people to get upset. When he brings healing or he brings blessings or he causes something miraculous to happen in your life, the people who are very religious say, what'd you do to deserve that? I I didn't even see you at church for the last three weeks. What do you mean God blessed you? How could he heal you? I know what you were out doing Friday night. Jesus' activity always stirs stuff up in us. And it causes the people that are very set in their controlling, outward-focused ways to get upset with what God's doing in us. Later, while Peter's... Uh, encouraging people. He's writing a letter. This is after that day. He's got all this history. He's had all this time to think about what God is doing. And he revisits that thought about Jesus being the cornerstone when he's writing a letter to encourage the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he writes this, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus is a living stone, he says, we also are living stones. We who were once dead have become alive, and he's using us to build something, to build us into a spiritual house. We have a purpose now. And, and as we were thinking about it this morning, we were, we were just talking about this at home. How many of you think it's great that Jesus is in your life? If you're a Christian and you've seen his activity, how many of you think that's just awesome? That was only like 80%. How many of you think that's horrible? How many of you think it's the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life that Jesus came to be a part of your life? Come on, we think it's fantastic. Jesus, you came to live in me. That's awesome. And I'm so happy that you're, I'm building my life on the rock. The winds and the waves won't shake me. How many of you know that's great, but it also misses the bigger picture? The best news is that Jesus made us part of his building. Sometimes we get so self-focused, and, and I'm, I don't want to discount Jesus loves people and he works in individual lives and he does amazing things. He still performs miracles. He sets people free. He heals, he delivers, he saves, he does all those things. But the purpose of it is to build us into a spiritual house that he takes us and makes us part of something bigger than ourselves, something that is glorious, that he is building, that it's filling the whole earth and it's proclaiming who he is to the nations. That's the purpose for what he saved us. You are a living stone, and I'm building you into something that I'm building in the church, a a temple, a house of worship, more specifically, the church. Isn't that an amazing thought that you are in this room today because Jesus has put you into the wall and built you into something called the church? 
that is set and called to represent him to the world. Come on, I don't know. That is something to get up for in the morning. That is the job description of all jobs descriptions. We get to represent Jesus to the world. And good, bad, or ugly, the perception the world has of Jesus and how they see and encounter him is because of how they see and encounter the church. And we are called to be people that represent him so that people see and experience him still today. His physical body is not here walking on this earth right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but his body is still here walking on the earth today and doing the same works that Jesus did to show him to the world. We are how people see him. People ask me, why do you talk about Jesus so much here? Because he is the cornerstone and this is his church. He is the one that is building what's happening in our midst. Man, if we're not allowing ourselves to be built together in a way that represents Jesus to the world, we'd miss the point of the building. Oh, maybe it's just me. Some, there have been seasons in my life where whether I meant to or not, I come to church with my agenda. I come into relationships with people with what I think is going to happen. My plans, my, oh, this, th- Jesus, this would be nice if it worked out this way. Right. You, you'd get a lot more glory if it happened according to my plan. <laughs> and, and the point of it is to build according to his plan. He's the one that chooses where to set us into the wall. He's the one that chooses who we're going to be in relationship with. This is pretty awesome. You know, like they, they tell little kids you didn't get to pick your family. Like, hey, you got to, I've heard parents say it to their kids. Like, you have to love your brother. Like, you know, you're in this family. In many ways, we didn't get to pick our family. Jesus says, I saved you to be a part of my family. And, and that's, it's okay that Pam is here already. It's okay that Rick is here already. You don't, you don't get to exclude them or not be in relationship with them because they're, they are part of my family and I've gathered you in. It says he makes us a holy priesthood. And I don't know why, but for some reason I just picture Batman saying, holy priesthood. Um, there is some evidence of a misspent youth in there somewhere. Holy priesthood. What does that mean? You don't hear that outside of church often. You don't go to the grocery store or tell your neighbor, like, guess what? I'm part of a holy priesthood. They, they look at you kind of funny or they start calling somebody. I'm worried about my neighbor. He's, it sounds like a cult. He said he's part of a holy priesthood. Like, I don't know what's going on there. But it says he made us a holy priesthood. What's that mean? Under the law of Moses, the priests were the only ones that represented God. They took the sacrifices in. They talked to God face to face. They came out and they told the people, this is what God says to you. And they had to obey and they had to do the things that the priest said under the law. Under the new covenant, he's made us all holy priests. We all have a relationship with him. We all have that intimate face to face. It's a personal relationship with him. I, I picture this. The new covenant is almost like Oprah. Like, you get a personal relationship, and you get a personal relationship, and you get a personal relationship. Everybody that comes to him gets to know him. It's not just about a select group of people that were called to be priests that dress right and have the right thing, the right title on their business card. He says, every single one of you, you're a living stone. I've made you a holy priesthood to represent me to the world. And he says he did it. So that we could offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
What are those spiritual sacrifices? No, you're not going to start raising cows on your backyard so you can kill them. I think your neighbors would be weirded out by you saying holy priesthood. Like, start raising cows and trying to sacrifice them in your yard. There's been a thread of worship through this whole series that we've been talking about. And that's part of why he makes us a holy temple. Why he builds us together to be living stones is so that we can continue to worship him. It invites his presence into our lives. It displays his goodness to the people around us when we choose to worship him. And, and it's not about just singing and music. Just so we're clear on that, that is a huge part of it. That should be a song that comes out of our heart. But worship, anything that we do that's not sinful can be an act of worship to the Lord. But possibly the most amazing part of that verse to me is just like we've been talking about building with the stones that come into our lives. Remember, that we've said we don't have control over what stones come into our lives. We just have control over how we deal with them. We get to choose whether or not to build on them or let them crush us. Just like we build with the stones that come into our lives, Jesus builds with the stones that come into his life. And Jesus actually makes us part of his story. That is an amazing thought to me, that, that he would take my life and put it into something that represents him and put it into something that he's literally actively building in the earth right now. And that he would call me to be a part of that. He makes us part of his story, including all of the stones that we carry. Come on, he he said, come to me, everybody who's weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say you have to unload all that baggage. He didn't say, oh, you got to leave your stones out there. If you want to be part of my wall, you've got to get yourself in shape first. Come on, thank you, Jesus, that he didn't say it that way. He just said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. And he takes us and he begins to put us into that wall before sometimes we even think we're ready or worthy. Like, Jesus, how could you possibly build something with my life? How could you even put me as part of a a group of people that's supposed to represent you when I've got this in my life? And he doesn't say, just hold on, we'll get you cleaned up, and then we'll put you in the wall. Once you deal with your baggage and your garbage, then you can be part of the family. He may help you unload some things later, He he may turn a pain that's in your life into a strength, but he will include you just the way you are right now. Man, I'm so excited. I just hear Jesus saying that. I'm so excited to put you into my building, to make you a part of what I'm doing in the earth. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Everybody say that last part with me. While we were still sinners. He didn't come for the people that had it all together. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for people that would look good as his representatives. Hey, I'll make you a part of what we're building because you'll look great on the marketing material. You're, you're a young couple. We'll, we'll get your picture out there. Like You're the people we want, but those people, eh. He didn't say any of that. While we were still sinners, while we were all in the same boat, we were all dead in our sins and we needed a Savior, he died for us then. 
without even knowing for sure, will they accept what I've done for them? While we were in our mess, some of us not just a mess, but actively running from him or working against him or ridiculing him, some of us actively rejecting him, he still died for us in that state. Man, I can see through all of that. Jesus says, I see through all that. I see who you were created to be. I see the Father's image in you. I see who you were meant to be. And I see that. And that's what's compelling me. There's such love welling up in my heart that I'm going to step out of eternity and come to walk on this earth and die so you can know me. While we were still sinners, he died for us. He chose to die for us because we didn't have it together. If we had it together, we wouldn't need a Savior. But because we needed him, he chose to die for us. Hebrews 2 talks about Jesus not being ashamed to call us brothers. Man, there's, there's some people in, in our natural family that we might be ashamed to call them my brother. Like, I'm not going to own up to being related to that guy. But Jesus looks at every one of us, even with all our mess, and he says, I'm not ashamed to call you part of my family. Put them in the wall. I'll, I'm, I'll keep working on them while we're building. I'll knock those rough edges off. I'll help them get clean. But put them in the wall right now. They're part of what I need to build in this place. You might be thinking, but, but you don't know how damaged I am. You don't know how the stones in my life have crushed me and how painful they are. You don't know what's come through my life. This is the last story I want to close with today. Around 600 B.C., the city of Jerusalem had gotten destroyed and the people were sent into exile. They, they came in, the army tore down the whole city. Every, every stone that was up on the wall, they burned it with fire. It was kaput. And some Jews started to come back from exile after about 70 years. God, God was so amazing, he actually told them, in about 70 years, you're going to come back to this place. And then what happened in 70 years, they started to come back. But there still was no wall around the city. There was nothing built there to proclaim the goodness of God. It was just people randomly dwelling in the land. And about 150 years after the city was destroyed, a man named Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem. He had the blessing of the king. The very city where they were living as exiles, the king blessed him and said, you can go back and see what needs to happen there. And when some of the people of the region heard that Nehemiah had come, and he surveyed the whole city. He said, we need to rebuild this wall. We need to rebuild a, a monument to show that God is good and he's with his people. We need to protect ourselves. Whatever it was that was entered in his mind, he said, I have plans. We're going to rebuild. And when the people of the region heard that the Israelites were starting to rebuild, they came and tried to stop it. How many of you have ever felt like there's been opposition against you when you've been trying to cooperate with God to build something in your life? Come on, you know what that feels like. Man, I, I took a step. I went to church on Easter Sunday. I wanted to get my life back together. And then the very next week, people start asking, well, why'd you waste your time doing that on Sunday? Let me, oh, you missed this great game. You missed this. Like, whatever it is, the opposition starts to come the moment we start to build. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, there was this guy named Sanballat, which he wasn't a very good guy in the Bible, but if you're looking for baby names, it's kind of a unique one. It's not, not taken. You can 
cue up for that one. Samballot was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing there remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. They're trying to build and the enemy is angry. The enemy gets angry anytime God starts to build something of value in your life. The moment you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to cooperate with you. Build something in my life. Make me part of what you're building. The enemy comes and tries to oppose it. And Sanballat, his name, I know he's not a great character in the Bible, but I pitched him as a baby name because his name means strength. The strength of the enemy isn't physical. He didn't come there with an army to say, I'm going to kill you guys for doing this. He came to mock them. The strength of the enemy is mocking the people, the stones, and the building process. And it's the same strategy the devil tries to use today. He comes and he mocks what God's doing in your life, who he's doing it with, and who you are. What are those poor, feeble church people doing? They really think they could build something right now. Don't you know we've moved on from religion? We're, we're free from all that now. And those voices try to come and mock what God is building in the earth and how he's changing people's lives. Nehemiah's physical stones that he needed to rebuild that wall with in the building process, Nehemiah's physical stones had been burned and thrown out as trash. Man, that was a part of a wall one time, but it's, it's been so burned. Come on. How many people do you know that have been, they felt like They've been stabbed in the back or abandoned by the church. Come on, I'm, I'm, I know there are a lot of lost people out there that they need to hear the gospel and be loved for the first time, but there are also a lot of wounded people that are walking around carrying these hurts. They've been burned, they've been charred, they've been thrown on the rubbish heap. And the truth of the matter is Jesus didn't hurt them. There might be broken people that are part of the church that he's building that hurt them, And they need to be loved, they need to be cared for, but Jesus didn't hurt them and he wants to put them back into the wall. Nehemiah's physical stones have been burned and thrown out as trash, but people have been spoken to and said, God can't use you. You were an alcoholic, you were divorced, you had an abortion, no one likes you, you're unlovable, you're unreliable. If we put you on the schedule, you won't even show up. Come on, those are things that have caused people to be burned and hurt. And there's somebody standing there says, if even a fox walked on that. And I just picture that. God, there's people that are coming up to us and they're saying, if God put you into the wall of his building, you'd collapse at the first sign of pressure. That guy, Tobiah, that was coming and saying, if even a fox walks on the wall, his name actually means the goodness of God. How about that? Sometimes even Christians forget what God is able to do and we go along with the world's report. We are the very ones that should be declaring something opposite to what the world says. 
And if we forget that and we go along, oh, well, you're probably right. You know, that, that guy, we, you know, if we put him on the schedule, he probably won't even show up. I, I know he, he goes out and does partying on Saturday night and he won't even be there on a Sunday. Sometimes even Christians begin to declare that over people's lives. Can I just say we should stop that if we're doing it? Don't believe those lies no matter which mouth they come out of, whether they're coming out of the enemy's mouth or someone who's well-meaning and following Jesus. God loves to use everyday, ordinary people, baggage and hurts and wounds and all, to build things that he's doing in the earth today. There is nothing that you have done in this room. Let me rephrase that because I don't, you've probably only done nice things in this room. There's nothing that anybody in this room has done. Let's say it that way. There's nothing that anyone in this room has done that would disqualify you from God wanting to use you to build something and represent him. I don't, I don't, I'm, all the things are running through my head right now because I hear all kinds of lists that people are thinking, well, what about this person or that sin or this thing they've done? There is nothing that you've done that is bigger than God's ability to say, I'm going to use you to represent me. And in that verse, the Samballot says, do they think they can build by just offering a few sacrifices? Darn tootin'. <laughs> Absolutely we can. We've talked about the power of worship this whole series. And that's part of what helps build something in us. We can build. If you read through Nehemiah later, chapter 12 of Nehemiah, the dedication of the wall when it was rebuilt, the dedication was done through worship. And it says it could be heard a distance away. The people worshiped so loud and were rejoicing over what God had built. This is... This is where I want to land today. My, my action item for us this week is say yes to something. Whatever, whatever God's been putting on your heart, let him make you part of what he is building. And, and particularly, if there's a place in your life where you've disqualified yourself because of something in your past. Or it might be something right now. You're thinking... I'm, I'm too old, I'm too young, I, can't, I don't dress right, I don't, I don't have the way I could speak in front of people. Like, whatever it is, don't disqualify yourself when God's asking you, just say yes to me. A good, a good place to say yes this morning, we already roped a bunch of you into it, is to say, man, I'm going to let God speak through me to encourage a teacher at Char Valley. And, and write them a note and just say thank you and, and just say here's how God loves you. We, we sang this morning, he didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. That's, that's part of what he's asking for us to let our lives so be filled with his presence that people see and experience a little bit of what heaven is like when they encounter our lives. There are some people that may never know what it is to be loved except somebody who follows Jesus comes alongside them and embraces them. Says, hey, you, you can be part of this family. There's a, there's a spot in the wall right next to me just for you. 
Whatever it is that God's been tugging on your heart, say yes to something this week. Whether, whether it's volunteering something here at church or something he's asked you to do in your family or with others around you, I don't know what it is. It's between you and God what he's speaking to you. But just say yes to him this week and don't disqualify yourself. Let's go ahead and stand together. in this room this morning or you're watching online and you've never asked Jesus to be the cornerstone of your life if you've never said I want to start a relationship with you I need to know you Lord Jesus I believe in you this is a great day to do that and uh, there's going to be some people from the ministry team up front here what I'm going to ask you to do is if you need to make that decision today, whether, whether it's the first time you're meeting Jesus or you've been feeling like I've been living far away from him and I just, I just need to come home, whatever that is this morning, after, as, as I close the service, I'm going to ask you to make your way over to the cross and just somebody from the ministry team will meet you there and tell you either what it means to be a follower of Jesus or pray with you to encourage you like you are not disqualified, you're home. God, I thank you that we didn't have to be perfect to be called by you. That you really do forgive our past. You redeem our future. You build with the material that's in our lives. You cause us to look and to be and to act more like you. God, I just ask that you would remind us of that right now where we've listened to the voices of the enemy, where we've let that discouragement come in, where we've, where we've embraced fear because we've heard the voice of the mockers. Uh, Lord, we choose to listen to you right now and not to listen to the other voices around us. We choose to hear you saying, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I affirm you. I approve you. I have saved you. I embrace you. We choose to hear you saying those things to us. And God, I ask that we would be ones that would be quick to cooperate and to say yes with what you're wanting to build in our lives, with what you're doing to make us part of your building. (laughs) Let us be quick to say yes, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you that you are building something in our lives and corporately here together with us that is showing you to the world, that we are representing you, that, that you are still being seen in the earth today because of what you are building here in this place. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for making us part of your family. Help us even to see each other the way that you see us. We say we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask for your blessing upon us. Even as we walk out of this place today, we thank you that your goodness surrounds us like a shield, that you go before us everywhere that we go that you never, ever leave us or forsake us. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.